Good morning. Good morning, Journey Church uh, here and abroad. Uh, we're glad that you're here. You know, I told someone I felt like Noah this morning because after the flood, uh, he sent a dove out and the dove came back and brought an olive branch. Remember that? And when you all come back, it just brings hope and encouragement to all of us. Uh, and we're so glad that you're here. If you are visiting with us online and you um, have not ventured out yet, uh, we hope you do so soon. Uh, take the precautions you need to take. Uh, but we love you and we miss you and we want you back. And if you've never visited with us, we have folks who watch online who have never been here in person, and we'd love to have you come and share with us as well. But it's great to see everybody today. Welcome, welcome. You know, a few days ago, uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving to work, and, and the one thing I had to do was to title this series that we're in. And, uh, you know, I, I told you before that preachers, we love cute things. We think that makes a difference. I don't know that it does. You go, oh, I want to go see. I want to go hear that series called Walk the Line. But anyway, I was uh, coming in and suddenly that, that title, Walk the Line, came for this series on spiritual disciplines. Uh, but I was thinking of something different. I was thinking about Johnny Cash, Walk the Line. Uh, some of you remember that. Uh, that song was written in 1956. He said he wrote it in 20 minutes. I don't think most songs are written that quickly, certainly not today, but 20 minutes. And this is what he said, I was newly married at the time, and I suppose I was laying out my pledge of devotion. And so if you listen to that song, the song's lyrics basically talk about marital fidelity, personal responsibility, avoiding temptation, and, and also criminal behavior, which I think he struggled with as well. And, um, you know, it, it spent six weeks at the top spot on the U.S. country charts, got up to number 19 on the pop charts as well. So it was a pretty popular song and pretty well known today. Uh, but you know probably that Johnny Cash had his demons he struggled with, and this song probably was a way to address that. Uh, his first marriage ended after 12 years, and instant, uh, coincidentally, it was shattered by another hit song, A Ring of Fire. Probably remember that one too. You know, A Ring of Fire was written by a woman named June Carter, who later became June Carter Cash. Uh, so his marriage was kind of shattered by that song and that person, but they were married for 35 years. But you know, I listen to that song, it's kind of interesting that he talks about good intentions and commitment he's making. And we all have good intentions, right? We all intend to do what's right, but good intentions have to be cemented by certain disciplines in order for us to follow through. And as Christians, we call those spiritual disciplines. Uh, in our small group the other night, we were talking about Discipline's not always a positive word. We, we don't like discipline, but the difference in spiritual disciplines that we commit ourselves to these things. These are not things done to us. These are things that we kind of do to ourselves because we have a purpose and a reason for that, spiritual disciplines. And I want to take a little bit and talk about what spiritual disciplines really are because it's kind of confusing sometimes to know, how do you know what a spiritual discipline is? How do you define that? Let me give you a couple of ways to define them. First of all, there are both personal and interpersonal disciplines. So there are things that we do ourselves, things that we are committed to alone, like maybe our personal time with God, our prayer and Bible study, and we may serve in a specific area alone. But there's also things that we do together, right? We pray together, we study together, we worship together, we serve together. So they're done both in, uh, alone and also with other people. Secondly, spiritual disciplines are activities, they're not attitudes and they're not attributes, things like faith and hope and patience. Those are all great things, but those are kind of things that define us. They're not activities that we actually do. These spiritual disciplines are practices 
that we do, like reading the Bible and serving and worshiping, they're activities. We are doing these things, not just thinking or displaying these things. Thirdly, the disciplines are taught in the Bible. They're taught in the Bible, and so we kind of take our cue from that. There are many things that you may enjoy doing and that may bring you close to God, uh, like gardening. People, I love, you know, people love to garden. I feel close to God when I'm in the garden. Uh, or fishing, or golfing, or hunting, or whatever it is people say they like to do, that they, they come in contact with God. Uh, but the Bible is clear on what we need to do to become more like Jesus. Uh, you're not going to become more like Jesus because you're gardening, or fishing, or golfing, or whatever you may be doing, you know, uh, unless you're carpentry. Uh, maybe you're becoming like Jesus in that one. Just kidding. Man, you guys are serious this morning. Lighten up, all right? Um, no, these, these are things that you enjoy doing, but, but the Bible teaches us there are some things that we do, not only because we enjoy them, but because they change us. They make us more like Jesus. So these are things listed in the Bible. And so we take our cue on spiritual disciplines from Bible principles. Third, fourthly, these disciplines help us know and experience God and grow more like Christ. That's why some of these things we talked about aren't necessarily disciplines. They're in things we enjoy, but they don't make us more like Jesus. These things we're talking about move us on our spiritual journey. The things we're focusing on will help us to grow to become more like Christ. Number five, these disciplines are directly from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're all about the gospel and becoming more like him. There's not a higher plane that we're going to reach because we practice some spiritual discipline, but rather we have a deeper walk with Jesus as we do these things. And then number six, these disciplines are means and not ends. They are means and not ends. They are means to an end, which is to become godly. That's the purpose of these disciplines. First Timothy 4 says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, so we are not godly just because we practice these things, but we are led to godliness because we have these spiritual disciplines. You know, I found that list of things interesting to me, and uh, uh, I've studied disciplines a long time, but uh, I thought that list was interesting because it kind of brings some light into these things, and they explain why some things are needed in our life and why they're very practical as well. And last week, we began the series in talking about maintaining our integrity and the importance of not letting our guard down in the important areas of life. And we listed several areas where we can compromise, if we're not careful, our integrity. And we said that we have to discipline our bodies to remain faithful. And today, we're going to take, take another spiritual discipline. We're going to talk about listening to God's voice listening to God's voice. And that's a spiritual discipline sometimes that we don't always recognize. Let me just say this, that Christian worship is unlike any other religion because we serve a living God. We serve a living God, the God who has in the past and the God in the present who speaks. The God who speaks. And this is important for us to understand because we don't just serve a, a, a book of rules of authority. We serve a God that is active and speaks into our lives. And here's a great example of that. I want to go back in the Old Testament this morning a couple times. In 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, there is a story about God speaking. And this is kind of a, it's a tragic event, and yet it's in many ways kind of a hilarious account of God showing himself. You know, I love it when God brings in our different emotions and we look at these stories in the Bible. People say the Bible is boring. It is far from boring. And this account has always been one of my favorite. Anyway, it's about Elijah, the prophet of God, and he has been opposing the prophets of Baal. 
Now, Baal was an idol of that day. He was something that they had just created on their own and didn't really exist, but except in their minds and their worship. But there were 450 prophets of Baal, but there was only one prophet of God at that time, and that was Elijah. But, but Elijah, he's kind of tired of this back and forth, so he proposes a contest. And, and this was a series, this was like a loser leave town contest. Actually, it was a life or death contest. It was almost acknowledged that whoever wins lives and whoever loses dies. It's a pretty serious contest, right? So the stakes were pretty high, but here was the contest. They would both build an altar to God or to their God. They would put a sacrifice on the altar, and then they would call down fire uh, from their God to come and consume the sacrifice. And whoever's God did that would be the true God. And so Elijah goes, okay, you go first. So the Baal's prophets, they were eager, eager to prove who Baal was. And so they built this altar and they put a sacrifice on it. And then they begin to call out to Baal to bring down fire. And you, you know, you, there's hundreds of these prophets, 450 of them are out there dancing around. They're shouting, Baal, answer us, send your message, send, you know, send us a sign. And then nothing. And so they, then they get frantic. They start cutting themselves. That was part of their worship. They're cutting themselves to get their God's attention. They're bleeding and they're limping and falling around the altar and finally exhausted. And, and what's funny is that Elijah is watching them, but he begins to joke at, at, at their solemn observance. And he begins to make fun of them. And he says, uh, maybe your God's in the bathroom. The Bible says that. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Uh, maybe your God is out of town. Maybe your God's asleep. You know, yell louder. And so he's egging them on, but there's still no answer, no response. Nothing comes out of it. Can you imagine what would have happened, though, if, if there really had been a response? Because how many celebrations and how many worship times had they had calling on Baal had he had never even sighed, he had never spoken a word, why they expected him to show up that day, it doesn't make sense. But, you know, idolatry doesn't make sense, does it? So anyway, there's nothing comes out of it. And finally, when they were exhausted and worn out, Elijah goes over, you know the story, built an altar in the name of the true God. He put a wood on the altar, put a bull on the altar. And then here's another trick. He poured 12 jars of water, not quart jars. I'm sure they were the big jar. 12 jars of water over the sacrifice, saturating it. They had dug a trench around it. The trench is full of water. And then Elijah has a pretty simple prayer. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I think God spoke that day, didn't he? They didn't have to dance around and cut themselves and plead with him. Elijah just said, show, show us your glory. Show us who you are. And God sent fire that destroyed everything. There's nothing left but a, kind of a hole in the ground uh, from God's response. God spoke. Does God speak today? Absolutely. Maybe not quite as dramatic as that in every case, but definitely God speaks into our world. And maybe you've never thought about God speaking. Maybe you've never thought about how you hear from God. How does God speak in our world today? Let me tell you some ways that I think it's pretty clear God speaks. The first way is that God speaks through his word. He speaks through the Bible, the living word of God that is alive and vibrant to us, the Bible that's still as relevant today as it's been as the day it was written. 
God's word is living and breathing because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We spent weeks talking about this, so I won't go back and cover it, but God speaks through his word today. But also God speaks through other people. God speaks through people. God can use anyone at any time to speak into your life. Remember the story in the Old Testament about Balaam who God spoke through his donkey? It should give us all some hope because if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anybody, all right? God can use you. God speaks through people. He speaks through friends and family members and teachers and preachers. God speaks into our life truth. And many times, again, as we've talked about, you may hear a message and the preacher has no idea what he's saying into your life, but you hear from God because someone speaks, right? God also speaks in our circumstances. God speaks in circumstances. Sometimes God allows the circumstances in our lives to lead us to the things that he wants us to learn. Many of us have learned the hardest lessons in life that God wants to teach us because of what's going on in our lives, the circumstance. He can sure get our attention quickly, can he? With a personal crisis or with a blessing or some opportunity, God speaks in those kind of circumstances. God speaks in the still, small voice, the still, small voice in our life. And I think most of us probably see this commonly have experienced this. If we're listening to the Holy Spirit, God may use a tiny voice inside of us, not an audible voice, but just the peace of God that's inside of us to let us know what's right, what's wrong, where we should go, what we should do, if we're on the right path or not. Some people call this the voice of peace, the voice of peace. Whenever we are contemplating something and we don't have peace about it, we probably know that God has another plan for us. It's a good idea to stop and look at the situation if you don't have peace about it or you don't feel God leading you in some way. There may be a good reason why you don't have peace. Sometimes we know God's will and we just need to obey God's will. If we know his word, we have a peace about what God wants us to do and and God speaks in that way. Other times we want to hear from God. We are confused. We're not sure what to do. And we need to hear from God. You know, we're kind of like Elijah, um, again, when he wanted to hear from God in in 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, it's kind of interesting. A few minutes ago, we were in 1 Kings chapter 18 when I read that story and gave you that account. So this is right after God had shown himself to Elijah by consuming the sacrifice and the altar and everything, the water and everything. And Elijah had that victory. It was a great victory for him. In fact, afterwards, they went out and killed all the other prophets of Baal. So it really was a life or death win for him. And uh, so it was right after this, but suddenly Elijah becomes depressed. And God feels like that, Elijah feels like he's the only person now who still follows God. He's the only believer in God. And so God led him up onto a mountain to show him himself and speak to him. And it says, then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and tore them apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper. You might assume that God's gonna show himself and reveal himself in an earthquake, a fire, a wind, some great dramatic way, but no, none of that. When God spoke to Elijah, it was in a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. And it was there that God reaffirmed his love for Elijah. God encouraged Elijah. He gave him a new mission. He gave him a friend, an apprentice who was Elisha. 
And Elisha went on and it become a great prophet in his own right. And then not too long after this, God actually took Elijah into heaven with him in a fiery chariot. He just went up to be with God. So God will speak to us, not always in the ways that we might expect and plan, but God will speak to us in a still small voice. And then lastly, on some occasion, we may hear the actual voice of God. God has definitely spoken in the past. We read that in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And I'm certainly not suggesting that God doesn't speak that way today because I know people who would declare that they've heard God speak. And I believe those people. I don't have any doubt in that. God can do whatever he wants to do and needs to do. So if you need to hear the voice of God, you may hear the voice of God. I don't don't know, uh, but, but I don't think that it's out of the question at all. I think many times it's rare because we have plenty of other ways for God to speak besides hearing an actual voice. Oh, and by the way, I think that God is speaking all the time. I think God is constantly speaking. We're just not always tuned in. You know, we can turn on our radio or turn on the TV to get the program that we want or the message that we want beamed to us when we want it, but radio and TV are transmitting 24 hours a day, right? Just because we're not hearing it doesn't mean they're not transmitting. And just because we're not hearing from God doesn't mean that God isn't speaking all the time. God will speak in different ways probably all the time, but we're not always tuned in to hear him. And so that means we have to be receptive to hear God because he may be speaking and we're ignoring it. So the solution is to fix our receivers and believe that God is already speaking and that we are going to have to start listening. But here's the problem, and I identify with this. The average Christian's life is so busy that it's not conducive to hearing God's voice. We are so busy. We have so much going on, activity, conversations, input, media, you know, all the time that we don't like quiet. Many people don't like quiet. They want something going all the time. You know, a lot of people just run the TV in the background for noise and stuff. And we have stuff, so much going on. And, and I know that's true in my life. I stay pretty busy on the run. So we need to make sure that we have time and we learn to hear from God and we are listening. Let me give you a pattern, an example as to how to learn to hear God in a better way. And again, this is in the Old Testament and another amazing story uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. You know, I love the story of Samuel. I don't know if you've thought about him lately, but Samuel uh, was, one of the, was a judge uh, in the, the time of the Old Testament period. And uh, Samuel's whole life, his existence was a miracle. His mother could not get pregnant, and she was desperate, and so she promised God that if he would give her a son, she would dedicate him back to God. And so she conceived, and Samuel was born. And by the way, Samuel, the, the name means heard by God. It's kind of amazing. God heard, God spoke, God blessed her with this son, Samuel. And then at two or three years of age, uh, his mother uh, kept her commitment and vow to God. She took him to the temple and presented him to God. And then God gave her three more sons and two daughters. But Samuel was raised in the temple by the priest Eli. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Isn't that kind of interesting here that this was a time that God was not speaking 
God spoke at various times and many times spoke a great deal, but this was a period when God was basically silent because the people were not obeying and they were not listening to him. God will now force his way in, right? They had taken the promised land, but now they were fighting among themselves, actually fighting each other. They had forgotten God. And like I said, the judges were ruling the land and they tried to lead the people to God, some of them, but they were struggling too. Samson was one of them, you know his story. And so that was kind of, they were very human. They were struggling. The whole country was struggling. God was silent during this time. In fact, Judges chapter 17 describes it well. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you can imagine what the country was like. It was chaos. It was crazy. Read the book of Judges sometime if you want to read an exciting book with some crazy, crazy stories in there, all right? At any rate, the judges weren't working out. There was chaos. Even the Eli, the high priest, his sons were, were corrupt. They were stealing from the temple sacrifices, and they were sleeping with the women who served in the temple, and Eli knew it, and he was letting it happen. That's the condition of the country in that day and their spiritual leadership. And Eli's leadership was soon going to be destroyed, taken away, but Samuel was being raised up and groomed to lead the people back to God. And so Samuel was in a place where God was about to speak to him. And the first step in hearing from God is seen in Samuel's life, and that is, number one, get humble. Get humble. Samuel was a humble little boy. In fact, he was young. He was about 12 years old when God spoke to him. So God can use you at any age in life. He can use you young, as a child, teenager, young person, adult, senior adult. God can use you. God can speak into your life. Samuel was humble. He was sincere. He was righteous. He was innocent. And Eli knew that Samuel was going to be a successor. I imagine he was trying to protect him, even in his own struggle. He was a weak father, a weak leader, but I'm sure he tried to protect Samuel and raise him up to know the Lord. At this point, God wouldn't speak into Eli, and he only chose to spoke to Samuel. The Bible says in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you want to hear from God, get humble. Humble yourself and be ready to listen to God. Secondly, get quiet. Get quiet. I mentioned this a few moments ago, but it says one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. No doubt the temple was a busy place during the day, a lot going on. Probably wasn't the kind of worship that God wanted, but at night the temple grew quiet, and so did Samuel who was probably trying to go to sleep, maybe even saying his prayers at the time, and he heard God. You know what? In the busyness of our lives, we seldom take time to be quiet. We seldom take time to do that, always something going on. And you know what? Sometimes, I mean, I'm guilty of that too, but sometimes I just like quiet with nothing on, just quiet. And we need that because we can't hear God over everything else and the noise around us. Remember, Elijah found God in the still, small voice that he would not have heard had he not been listening and been quiet. In the middle of your crazy world sometime, find a few minutes, if it can be no more than 10 minutes, to just be quiet and listen to God. Thirdly, get into God's presence. Get into the presence of God. Do you notice where Samuel was when God spoke? He was in the temple 
where the Ark of the Covenant was. So Samuel was actually sleeping, not in the quarters there, the temple, but in the actual house of the Lord. He was in God's presence. But that doesn't mean that you can only meet God in a church building. It doesn't mean that you can only experience God in a church, in a church service. Because now God doesn't limit himself to the temple. God is everywhere. The Bible says our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God lives in each one of us. But even with God in us sometimes, we don't hear him because we're not quiet and we're not in the presence of God. For some people, God's presence is in their prayer closet. For some people, God's presence is experienced in a song, a worship song. Or maybe it's experienced in silence. Or maybe it's in a state of mind that we just quiet down, slow down, and we just come in the presence of God. But we need to purposefully come into his presence, which means that we have a soul focus on him with no distractions. You know, I got to be honest with you and tell you, I think that's what has made church online difficult for many people. And I know this because I was home a couple of weeks when I had the virus back in May and when I was sick. Um, I, I, it's hard. There's so much going on. I would go outside on the swing, but I mean, there were birds and squirrels and I mean, everything going on. And I'm like, wow, this is distracting. In your house, you know, you got maybe other people. You've got, you know, things you ought to be doing. You've got breakfast. It's hard. I know it is. And the reason is we weren't made to worship alone. We were made to come into the presence of the Lord. And it's not the same as being in a place with other believers that are focused in a time of worship and teaching. And so we have to learn how to become in the presence of God. Samuel was attuned to God, and then God spoke to him. and says, then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, here I am. So if you want to hear God, you have to be in the presence of God. Number four, get, connect, get counsel. Get counsel. Samuel assumed that Eli was calling him. You know the story. He, he ran to Eli when he heard this voice and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. And again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And a third time the Lord said, here I am, you called me. And then, he realized, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down and laid in his place. Keep in mind that Eli was not hearing from God. Eli had cut off his communication from God by ignoring his son's sins. By the way, if you in, are in blatant sin, you may not hear from God. Our sin can block our communication with God. We have to be humble. We have to be receptive to God. We have to be open. But Eli knew that God was calling Samuel, and so he gave him godly counsel. If you believe that God is speaking to you, but you're not sure, then go to someone that you trust, someone that you know knows the Lord, and share what you know, and let them maybe confirm what you're hearing from God. Number five, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. This is uh, the Lord came and stood there calling at, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Oswald Chambers, many of us have read his book. His famous author, author and missionary wrote this, get into the habit of saying, speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. Every time circumstances press, say, speak, Lord. If you face a decision large or small, 
speak, Lord. When you lack wisdom, speak, Lord. When you open your mouth in prayer, speak, Lord. And as you greet a new day, speak, Lord. What if we just said, Lord, speak. I'm ready to listen. Nobody likes to talk if the other is not listening. I discovered that by being married. If you're not listening, you're probably not going to be spoken to. That's the sixth step. Get into a listening attitude. You know, all this was new to Samuel. It really was. Did you notice when I read through in verse 7 what it said? Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This was a period of time when, again, God wasn't speaking to anyone due to the sin of the people, but Samuel had been serving in the temple for eight to ten years, and he did not know the Lord. Can you imagine that? He was 12 years old. He was brought to the temple at the age of two or three or four, and, and he, you know, he had been in, in the presence of the Lord in what they called worship, but he did not know the Lord. And that just shows us that we can go through all the motions and not hear from God. We can be doing the right thing and not hear from God. And so the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it, hears about it tingle. You know, this was such a tragic time, and what was about to happen was going to break the country's heart. But God saw a ready heart and open ears, and so God spoke into Samuel's life. Someone said that God is a gentleman, that God doesn't like to interrupt, so God seldom speaks unless we're listening to him and willing to hear what he has to say. And then number seven, get ready to act on what God says. Obey, do what God says. When God spoke to Samuel, it wasn't good news. You might wonder what God said. It was a message of judgment on Eli and his family. Now, why did God share that? Because Eli was a spiritual leader, and he was a lousy spiritual leader, and so there was nobody really following God at that time. And Eli had been Samuel's mentor, but God was displeased with him, and punishment was coming. His sons were going to die in battle. In the same battle, the Ark of the Covenant was going to be captured by the Philistines. And it would seem that all of their hope was going to be gone. And whenever this actually happened, shortly after this, it seems, on hearing the news, Eli was old and heavy, it says, and he fell out of his chair backward, broke his neck, and died. And Samuel had to be the one to tell Eli what God's judgment would be when it was coming. So when God speaks, it may not always be good news, but God will always share his word. If you want to hear his voice, you have to prepare for the possibility that God may not say what you want to hear and that you have to act on what he says. And Samuel was going to have to step up shortly to lead the people. You know, I believe that God knows who is willing to listen to him. And I believe that determines who he will actually speak to. So I want to be available. I want to be listening to hear God. And I will say that I believe I have heard God through most of the ways that I shared through, uh, through his word, through other people, through circumstances, and the still small voice of his leading. And I will also tell you that I personally have not heard the actual voice of God. And I don't have to hear the voice of God like that to know that God's real and that God speaks. But I do want to encourage you to follow the example of Samuel. What a great pattern. Get humble, get quiet, get in his presence, get counsel, say, speak, Lord, listen to what he speaks, and then act on his word. God speaks.
Now, I, wanna, I think there's some amazing stories in the Bible, and, and I hope that you'll be encouraged and challenged by God's Word. But I want to I wanna share something very personal with you this morning, uh, because I feel like that God gave me a message to share to you today, and uh, specifically. You know, I, I would hope that every time I get up to preach that God is speaking. I don't in, uh, pretend to be inspired, and I'm sure that I'm not right in everything, and I know I don't say every word correctly. My wife oftentimes corrects me and says, that's not a word. You're not saying that right. Um, but I believe that God speaks through His Word. But, but I had something happen last Monday morning that is extremely rare that I, I wanted to share with you. I was, I was laying in bed. Uh, about to get up. You know, in those moments where you low, I know the alarm's going to go off in just a second. I don't know when, but I know it's going to go. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm just not going to go back to sleep just yet. So I was in that little moment and, uh, and I heard what I thought was God's still small voice. And uh, it was powerful for me. In fact, I, uh, I got up and I felt like God was still speaking through that time. And so I, I showered and got ready and went into the uh, kitchen set at the table, and I wrote down what I felt like God was giving me uh, for this time and the season of the um, of the pandemic. And this was this was the word that I feel God gave me that day, uh, and it was unusual. But I felt like God said to me, "Fear me, fear me as much as you fear COVID nineteen. You have changed your whole life because of it." Your habits, your schedule, your travel, your family life. The government advises you to stay home, and you do. I command you to go, and you stay home. I say, gather to worship, and you say, I'm afraid. Fear me, not it. Trust me. Trust me as much as you trust the CDC, Dr. Fauci, and the government. I have been right a whole lot more than they have, and yet you trust them over me. You trust a piece of cloth or paper over your face and alcohol on your hands to protect you. Trust me. Obey me. Obey me as much as you obey the mandates. You quickly comply with them, and yet you disobey my word. Hear me. Like you faithfully listen to the daily update and the daily statistics, spend as much time reading my word as you have been reading the volumes written on this virus. And when they admit, we don't know, I say, I know, I know, hear me, serve me, serve me as much as you have been self-serving and self-preserving. Give me as much time as you have been taking worrying about this virus. Seek me, seek me more than a cure or a stimulus check. Don't isolate from me. Seek me. Put as much hope in me as you do in your precautions, your mask, your hand sanitizer, the vaccine, herd immunity, and medical cures. Hope in me. Fear me, not the virus. Trust me. Trust me that when your life is over, and it will be when, not if, by whatever, virus, age, accident, disease, I will save you. Trust me. I don't know if that means... I don't know if that means anything to you, but it spoke to me. And I, I will tell you, I just wrote this down and it has, 
been impressed on me all week uh, about it. And I hope it's a challenge to you. I hope that God speaks to you uh, through that and through his word. And I hope that you listen to God. Just take some time and listen to God.